Hello and welcome to An Engineer's Journey Through the Book of Mormon. We explore the Book of Mormon with the assumption that science worked the same then as it does now and that the characters are real people with the same types of feelings and tendencies as you and me today. The views and opinions expressed here are strictly those of the narrator and should not be considered official interpretations in any way. And now An Engineer's Journey Through the Book of Mormon. Hello and welcome back. The common question is, if a loving God exists, why do bad things happen to good people? That will be one of the things that we address today as we discuss Alma chapters 14 through 16, which cover the aftermath of Alma and Amulek's preaching to the city of Ammonihah. But first we need to answer the trivia question from last time. The question was, in Alma chapter 16, a Lamanite army will destroy the city of Ammonihah. Where did they come from? Before we're done with chapter 16 today, a Lamanite army will emerge from the wilderness and utterly annihilate Ammonihah. As it says in 16.9, And the people of Ammonihah were destroyed, yea, every living soul of the Ammoniahites was destroyed, and also their great city, which they said God could not destroy because of its greatness. But where did these Lamanites come from, and what caused them to attack Ammonihah in particular? In Alma 25, we will learn that this Lamanite army had intended to slaughter thousands of Lamanites that the sons of Mosiah had baptized. But when their victims did not fight back, the Lamanite army looked for another target instead. From Alma 25, verse 1, And behold, now it came to pass that these Lamanites were more angry because they had slain their brethren. Therefore they swore vengeance upon the Nephites, and they did no more attempt to slay the people of anti-Nephi-Lehi at that time. But they took their armies and went over into the borders of the land of Zarahemla and fell upon the people who were in the land of Ammonihah and destroyed them. If you've read the Book of Mormon before, you're probably familiar with the Lamanite converts who made the decision to bury their weapons in the ground to avoid ever using them in battle again. And if not, stay tuned for Alma chapter 24. These converts were attacked by an army of Lamanites, Amulonites, and Amlicites. It says Amalekite, but as we discussed in Alma 1 through 3, they're all the same group, and so I just pronounce it Amlicite each time. These new converts lay unarmed on the ground and refused to fight back against their invaders. When the Lamanites saw this, they did, quote, forbear from slaying them, and there were many whose hearts had swollen in them. But this was not the case with the Amlicites and Amulonites. They continued to slaughter. Verse 28, Now the greatest number of those of the Lamanites who slew so many of their brethren were Amlicites and Amulonites, the greatest number of whom were after the order of the Nehors. That becomes relevant. So the Lamanites looked over and saw people after the order of Nehor eagerly slaughtering their brethren. This did not sit well with them. Revisiting Alma 25.1, and behold, now it came to pass that those Lamanites were more angry because they had slain their brethren. But before the current chapter breaks were added, it was more obvious that the they who had done the slain was the Amlicites and the Amulonites. Therefore they swore vengeance upon the Nephites, and they did no more attempt to slay the people of anti-Nephi-Lehi at that time. But it wasn't just vengeance upon the Nephites. 
it seems to have been on Nephite followers of Nehor in particular. Verse 2, But they took their armies and went over into the borders of the land of Zarahemla and fell upon the people who were in the land of Ammonihah and destroyed them. Later, verse 16 tells us that the destroyed city of Ammonihah was thereafter called the Desolation of Nehors. Ammonihah's destruction is often presented as a group of amped up, bloodthirsty Lamanites needing an outlet for their desire to kill, and Ammonihah happened to be conveniently nearby, but it seems more likely to me that the destruction of Ammonihah was retaliation against the followers of Nehor after watching followers of Nehor eagerly killing Lamanites. So the Lamanite army traveled a considerable distance, potentially even ignoring other Nephite cities and towns along their way to destroy a city populated by followers of Nehor. Tit for tat, I think, is the expression. That trivia question went a lot longer than usual, but it overlaps with today's material. But now we'll return to Alma and Amulek in Ammonihah. We begin Alma 14, where Alma had just finished speaking to the people. Verse 1, And it came to pass, after he made an end of speaking unto the people, many of them did believe on his words and began to repent and to search the scriptures. That sentence implies to me that the events in Ammonihah lasted for several days because the audience had time to change patterns of behavior. But although some citizens of Ammonihah chose to repent, the more part of them were desirous to destroy Alma and Amulek. In chapter 11, we were told that the city's lawyers had accumulated wealth by stirring up trouble among their people. Well, in this chapter, we see the results of corrupt lawyers and politicians inspiring hatred in their people and then fanning the flames. The people bound Alma and Amulek with strong cords and carried them before the chief judge, a judge who just a year earlier had been under Alma's jurisdiction before Alma renounced the judgment seat. They were furious with Alma and Amulek and accused them of many things, none of which, in my opinion, would be an actual crime. But they accused them of things that Zeezrom and other lawyers had told them to remember. They said that Alma and Amulek had criticized their law and their lawyers, and that there was only one God, and that he would send his son among the people, but would not save them. When Zeezrom heard the people making these accusations, which he himself had planted in their minds, he cried out to the accusers, Behold, I am guilty, and these men are spotless before God. But to no avail. He was spit upon and cast out. Other church members were likewise driven from the city, and a mob pursued them to cast stones at them. Then the people of Ammonihah created a large blazing fire. Not only were scriptures and sacred records burned in the flames, but infinitely worse, so were the wives and children of the men who had been driven from the city. These murders were not simply the acts of an angry mob, but they were allowed and even led by the city's leaders. Alma and Amulek were bound with cords and under the custody of the chief judge were forced to watch church members being burned alive. Verse 10, And when Amulek saw the pains of the women and children who were consuming in the fire, he was also pained and said unto Alma, How can we witness this awful scene? Therefore let us stretch forth our hands and exercise the power of God which is in us and save them from the flames. A common question is, 
Why do bad things happen to good people? Events such as the Holocaust, mass shootings in schoolyards, or other unspeakably horrific events cause people to question whether a God exists. If a loving God were real, how could he allow such suffering among those whom he claims to favor? I attended a meeting where author Fiona Givens wondered how Lucifer had been successful in luring away a third of the hosts of heaven. She suggested that maybe Satan simply explained the brutal consequences and indescribable suffering that would unavoidably result from God's plan. Then, as now, there might have been some who said, a loving father could not possibly allow this, or if this is God's plan, I want no part of it. Continuing in verse 11, But Alma said unto Amulek, The Spirit constraineth me that I must not stretch forth my hand. For behold, the Lord receiveth them up unto himself in glory, and he doth suffer that they may do this thing, or that the people may do this thing unto them, according to the hardness of their hearts, that the judgments which he shall exercise upon them in his wrath may be just, and the blood of the innocent shall stand as a witness against them, yea, and cry mightily against them at the last day. It makes me wonder if God, even though he knows the end from the beginning, I, I wonder if he weeps with empathy when he witnesses the suffering that accompanies his plan. Another way of asking the question, why does God allow bad things happen to good people is, why does God allow people to do whatever they want to do? Why doesn't he stop them? When the flames died down and the bodies of the women and children had been consumed by the fire, the chief judge approached Alma and Amulek and asked them, After what ye have seen, will ye preach again unto this people that they shall be cast into a lake of fire and brimstone? Behold, ye see that ye had not power to save those who had been cast into the fire, neither has God saved them, because they were of your faith. And the judge smote them again upon their cheeks and asked, What say ye for yourselves? When Alma and Amulek gave no answer to the judge, they were beaten and cast into prison. A large group of lawyers, judges, priests, and teachers, all of whom were of the profession of Nehor, visited them frequently to beat or to interrogate them. But through it all, Alma and Amulek remained silent. Perhaps they did not wish to argue because Ammonihah's lawyers specialized in verbal games were not told. But after three days in prison, the judge attempted to make them talk by threatening to burn them as he had the women and children, but still they said nothing. On their fourth day in captivity, the large group returned to question and to torment them. If ye have such great power, they asked, taunting them, why do ye not deliver yourselves? And many such things did they say unto them, gnashing their teeth upon them, and spitting upon them, and saying, How shall we look when we are damned? Talk about devilish people. Can you picture a group of professionals all dressed up, entering into a filthy prison cell, and biting the prisoners? I can't even wrap my head around such animalistic behavior. Then, after beating, biting, and spitting on their victims, they stripped them of clothing, bound them with strong cords, and left them without food or water. After several days passed with the prisoners starving, naked, and tied up, 
The chief judge returned, accompanied by a group of lawyers and teachers. Verse 24, And the chief judge stood before them and smote them again, and said unto them, If ye have power of God, deliver yourselves from these bands, and then we will believe that the Lord will destroy this people according to your words. Others in the group came forward, one by one, to mock and beat the helpless prisoners lying tied on the ground. When they had all finished, even until the last, God decided his servants had suffered enough. With God's power upon them, they rose to their feet. And Alma cried, saying, How long shall we suffer these great afflictions, O Lord? O Lord, give us strength according to our faith which is in Christ, even unto deliverance. And they broke the cords with which they were bound. And when the people saw this, they began to flee, for the fear of destruction had come upon them. As the persecutors fled for the door, the earth shook so violently that they fell to the ground. And they were killed as the prison walls were rent in twain by the shaking and collapsed down upon them. But Alma and Amulek were unharmed. When the people of Ammonihah, who had been drawn to the area by the noise of the collapsing prison, saw the prophets emerging, they were struck with fear and fled, even as a goat fleeth with her young from two lions. Now Alma 15. The Book of Mormon usually does not describe the drama and emotion caused by the book's events, and these chapters are no exception. But by reading between the lines and likening them to ourselves, maybe we can breathe some life into these situations. Alma and Amulek departed from Ammonihah. It says they were commanded to leave, although whether it was God or the citizens of Ammonihah who told them to go, we don't know. From Ammonihah, they traveled to the land of Sidom, where they joined with the people who had been driven from Ammonihah. Verse 2. And they related unto them all that had happened unto their wives and children, and also concerning themselves, and of their power of deliverance. These refugees had been waiting in suspense, probably, hoping and praying that their families would be okay. So after hearing of their wives and children being burned alive... Did the surviving men rejoice at the prophet's miraculous escape from prison? There must have been such a desperate, chaotic swirl of conflicting emotions as they learned of all that had happened. Zeezrom was also in the group of refugees. Remember Zeezrom from uh, the Alma 9-11 through 11 video? His goal had been to make the people angry and he had succeeded far beyond any expectations. He was so distraught that he was physically sick with guilt. Lying in bed with a burning fever in the home of someone willing to take care of him. And he feared that he was responsible for the deaths of Alma and Amulek. With Alma and Amulek having survived, did the people now consider Zeezrom responsible for the deaths of their families? He was repentant and desperately apologetic, but how was he viewed by the other refugees? How was he treated? We don't know. But when Zeezrom heard that Alma and Amulek had survived, he immediately sent for them. They came. He professed a belief in Christ, and Alma commanded him to be healed. And when Alma had said these words, Zeezrom leaped upon his feet and began to walk. And this was done to the great astonishment of all the people. And the knowledge of this went forth throughout all the land of Sidon. And Alma baptized Zeezrom unto the Lord, and he began from that time forth to preach unto the people. I find myself wondering how receptive the people would have been now to the teachings of Zeezrom. 
and whether they forgave him for the, his role in the deaths and murders in Ammonihah, or if they even knew about them. We aren't ever told how many deaths there were, whether there were hundreds of believers or just a handful. In fact, the narrator doesn't ever mention the refugees again. Instead, the focus turns to the people in the Sidon area who welcomed the gospel and, quote, did flock in to be baptized. Alma established a thriving church among them. Can you picture being forced to watch the murder of women and children, then being starved and beaten while naked in a prison cell, and then being expected to go forth and preach and baptize? But Alma did it, and then, not surprisingly, he went home to Zarahemla. Amulek came with him. Before meeting Alma, Amulek had been a prosperous man in Ammonihah, but he was now, quote, rejected by those who were once his friends and also by his father and his kindred. Then we turn to Alma 16. As we discussed at the beginning, after several years of peace and entirely without warning, a Lamanite army emerged from the wilderness and attacked Ammonihah. They destroyed every living soul. And then, as verse 10 says, And behold, in one day it was left desolate, and the carcasses were mangled by dogs and wild beasts of the wilderness. And so sudden was this attack that the Nephites' army didn't have any time to assemble. This army also slew several people near the city of Noah and captured others that they encountered in the wilderness. However, Zoram, the captain of the Nephite army, wanted to rescue the prisoners. And he asked Alma where his troops should search for the Lamanite army with the abducted Nephite prisoners. Alma prayed, received an answer, and told Zoram, he would find them at the river Sidon. Zoram followed Alma's counsel and rescued all of the prisoners. Quote, and there was not one soul lost that were taken captive. I'd like to compare the lawyers in Ammonihah, who we met in the last two episodes, with Zoram, the Nephite general. The lawyers in Ammonihah felt qualified to pompously argue with Alma, the prophet, about the gospel. They would never have dreamed of coming to him for legal advice. But although Alma was neither a general nor qualified to give military advice, Zoram asked him where to find prisoners. He followed Alma's counsel and he found them. It reminds me of the incident in uh, John chapter 21 in the Bible where Peter and his crew, who are all professional fishermen, had been fishing all night without catching a single fish. And Jesus, a landlubber, shouted from the shore, you've been casting your nets on the wrong side of the boat. The fact that Peter and his crew did not row to shore and beat Jesus senseless for making such an absurd statement, you're casting your nets on the wrong side of the boat, is, is a testament to their patience. But instead of ignoring or ridiculing his suggestion, they followed it. They cast their nets on the other side of the boat and they caught more fish than they could handle. How might things be different if rather than questioning God's servants and their seemingly absurd statements, we simply did what they said, even if we feel that they are unqualified to comment on the topic? Returning to the chapter, nothing remained of Ammonihah's inhabitants but their rotting corpses, which lay unburied for several days. Eventually, a group of Nephites went to Ammonihah and gathered their dead bodies into piles and covered them with a thin layer of dirt, but the stench was so overpowering that the people avoided the area for many years afterward, and the land was renamed the Desolation of Nehors. 
and I apologize that this has just been such an ugly episode. But for the next three years, the Nephites had peace, and a growing body of ministers joined Alma and Amulek in preaching the gospel throughout the land. Eventually, these missionary efforts brought peace to the land. There was no inequality, and people waited for the coming of the Son of God and His death and resurrection. Many people inquired about the Savior's forthcoming mortal ministry and were told that after His resurrection, He would visit them. But there was another important consequence of Alma's ministry that we'll we'll talk about when we reach Alma chapters 27 and 28. And this concludes the account of Alma's ministry to his people, with people throughout the land, quote, having got the victory over the devil, and the word of God being preached in its purity in all the land. And now we'll end with our trivia question. In Alma chapter 17, we will meet King Lamoni, a king of the Lamanites. From which person in Lehi's group did Lamoni descend? The chapter actually tells us. From whom did King Lamoni descend? If you know, leave an answer in the comments. And we will see you next time.